Hello and welcome to Mr. President from otrgold.com. This episode will begin after a brief message from our sponsors. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mr. President, starring Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer's Edward Arnold. Mr. President, at home in the White House, the elected leader of our people, our fellow citizen and neighbor. These are little-known stories of the men who've lived in the White House. Dramatic, exciting events in their lives that you and I so rarely hear. True human stories of Mr. President. In just a moment, you will hear Edward Arnold as Mr. President. But first, I want to point out that there are no more stirring stories in the world than the stories of Americans who have become the leaders of our country. Generation after generation of American men and women have found their greatest inspiration in the lives of the presidents of the United States. People today are more interested than ever to know the intimate, interesting, and inspiring facts about the lives of their former chief executives. That's why Mr. President has rapidly caught the attention of people everywhere. For here is the program that presents human, intimate anecdotes and incidents in the careers of our presidents. And you, as the listener, enjoy the additional thrill of trying to identify the president in the story being told. So test your knowledge of the men who have lived in the White House by listening now for today's fascinating Mr. President story. Now, in just a moment, Edward Arnold. Edward Arnold as Mr. President. Let's visit him in the White House. It is Sunday, and the old mansion is resting quietly after a busy week. We walk through the great doors under the presidential seal, across the foyer and down the long hall to the president's study. Oh, hello there. Come in and sit down, won't you? It seems to me the two words which describe the president's job best are command and responsibility. On the president's shoulders rest not only the welfare of the people of the United States, but also the welfare of the people of the entire world. This is a heavy responsibility. I had three people to share this with me, my wife and two very good friends. Later on, of course, I'll tell you which president this happened to, but meanwhile you may be able to guess. It was just before Christmas when the new first lady and I came to the White House after a brief, a too brief honeymoon. I had every wish to pick her up and carry her across the threshold. But uh, there was the household staff and the traditional line with Mrs. Sloan, the housekeeper, at the head. I didn't want to behave like a youngster in public, so my bride and I linked hands and walked in quite sedately as Mrs. Sloan said... Uh, Welcome home, madam. 
And Mr. President. Thank you, Mrs. Stone. Edith, my dear, our housekeeper and her staff. How do you do? Our very best wishes, ma'am, for long life and great happiness for both your of my heart. Well, we've had a long trip since Mrs. Sloan. My thanks again, and I think if we went upstairs yes, now... Yes, of course, sir. All back to your work. Yes, ma'am. I rearranged your room, sir, just as you asked. We hope you'll be pleased. Oh, I'm sure we will be. Come, Edith, come along. What have you been up to now, dear? Oh, you'll see, Edith, you'll see. <laughs> oh, Mrs. Sloan is charming, dear. I'm sure we'll get along beautifully. Oh, of course you will. Well... Here we are. This is our room. Oh, darling, the flowers. They're lovely. <laughs> Mrs. Sloan's idea, I'm afraid. You're always giving credit where it's due, aren't you? It's one of the things I love you for. Shall I begin to tell you now? You've told me, dear. You told me by making me your wife. I hope you'll be happy here, my dear. And after all, it's only a temporary residence, you know. What difference does that make? <laughs> oh, I love the house. And wherever did you find this wonderful old bed? Well, I thought your sense of history, Edith, would appreciate Mr. Lincoln's bed. Mr. Lincoln? So that's why it's so long. Yes, he was a big man, Edith. Uh, I'm not sure it's right, darling. You're sleeping in a Republican's bed. <laughs> with an election, with an election year around the corner, you may be right about that. <laughs> <laughs> but then again, there's a certain magic in this old house, Edith. Men have come to live here from so many political parties, but... Once they're here, well, they've always turned out to be presidents of all the people. I understand. You know, I wouldn't be at all surprised if Mr. Lincoln rather liked that idea. I'm sure my husband does. I'm very sure of that. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, sir. More bad news from the other side, sir? No, it's about the same, Murray. Then we're still trying to be conciliators? You sound doubtful. Now, the war's been going on for more than two years now. Do you blame me? No, still if our good officers can shorten the conflict by a single day... And keep us out of it. Still, I think we can keep up, Bob. We have to, sir. This is an election year. Don't you think so, too, sir? I hope and pray so, Ralph. Believe me, the last thing on this earth I want to see in this nation is war. That's why I called you and my Secretary of State. Not another note to Germany? Well, uh... Useless, absolutely useless. What do you think, Ralph? Well, I'm inclined to agree with Lansing, Mr. President. After all, Germany is fighting in France. The British blockade is having small effect just now. Until she feels the real effects of war, her arrogance will stop any attempts at negotiation. And we have our national pride. There comes a time when conciliation may be taken for weakness. But if we frame our notes correctly, no one will accuse us of weakness. I'll go along with that, Mr. President. If we don't forget that the fellow who holds the coats of a couple of fighters usually winds up in the fight himself. And as Bob said, this is an election year. What if it is? Well, your supporters are already using the slogan, He kept us out of war. I shall campaign on domestic issues. All well and good, but if you're not elected again, you won't be able to do much good either at home or abroad. I'm keeping that in mind, Bob. But the fact remains that we have to send another note to Germany now. The British stories about German atrocities are having their effect. The people are beginning to react strongly toward them. We must move quickly. Then what's the keynote? If our people are becoming angry at Germany... Patience is the keynote, as always. Oh, very well to talk. Now, I know I've been snubbed, but I still believe there's hope for peace. And as long as that remains, we shall continue to be patient with both parties. <laughs>
Oh, you'll have to do better than that, darling. Keep your head down and your eye on the ball. <laughs> well, you'll, you'll have to give me a handicap from now on, say, two strokes a hole. Either that or charge you for golf lessons. <laughs> Replace the divot, darling, and we'll move along. Uh, so, only an expert could tell the president has been here. Uh, when you lose your present job, darling, I'll find you another mowing lawns with a driver. <laughs> that time may be closer than we think. Oh, you'll be reelected. At a time in history like this, the country couldn't turn a man like you out of the White House. But do the voters know the president the way his wife does? Perhaps not. But they know you well enough. Then perhaps I'd better not campaign. They might get to know me too well. Please be serious a moment, dear. Oh, listen to the woman. We're out on the golf course at spring. The Maryland Hills are blooming. I have the loveliest lady in Washington on my side, and she wants to be serious. <laughs> I know, dear, and thank you. You're very welcome, madam. But the fact remains, Mr. President, that you are the president, and you have to remain so another four years. Do you really think so, my dear? Yes, if we are to stay out of war. You too, Edith? What do you mean, me too? Oh, that slogan. <laughs> Times like this morning, I wish you and I could walk through the spring green hills of Maryland like this forever. Uh, but enough of that. I've got to get back. I have a meeting with Bob Lansing in an hour. And I promised Mrs. Sloan we'd have tea together and visit a while. Oh, there are times, Mrs. Stone, when I almost wish he would be defeated this year. One way it might be better, ma'am, and another way I'm not so sure. How do you mean? Well, for his health's sake, it might be better for him to retire to private life. But on the other side, well... Go on. His heart's so set on helping people and on making peace. You know how he talks about a peace that will last forever. Yes, I know. It makes me feel if he were defeated and he couldn't work for his idea... It might break his heart, ma'am. Thank you, Mrs. Sloan. I have begun to think that maybe I was the only one who felt that... You've you've helped me tremendously this morning. I've helped? Why, I've only said what I believe to be true, ma'am. Yes, and that's what's helped me so very much. I think I know now exactly what I have to do to help him as much as possible. Look at this breakfast table. Mrs. Sloan has done her customary good job. Just a way of congratulating you on your re-election yesterday, Mr. President. Well, <laughs> no, that's very nice of you, but I'm not re-elected yet. California is still in doubt, you know. Not in my mind, it isn't. And if the folks in California had any sense yesterday, they surely put you back in office. On that basis, Mrs. Sloan, we will proceed with our breakfast. Mm-hmm. Hmm? Thank you, sir. Now, if you'll excuse me. Surely. Dear. Yes? How do you feel about it? Oh, I'm not sure. I haven't had time to give it much thought. But you want to stay here? Yes, yes. I think the continuation of our administration is terribly important just now. Because of Germany? Because of the war. If there is to be peace, the... Oh, no, see here, I'll, I'll not permit anything to interfere with this breakfast. No, my dear, nothing shall interfere... Except if the Germans should by some chance send us an unexpected note. Not now, Edith, not now. I want to drink my coffee and look at my lovely wife. Oh, there'll be many years to do that, my dear. You know, all this proves something I'm sure many people don't believe is possible. 
that the president is human. That, yes, and that he can be as happy as any human being can ever expect to be. And that, my dear, is a compliment for you. Now, how about another cup of coffee? Here, let me help you. Mr. President, if this conciliation of yours continues, the United States of America will become a laughing stock. All right, Bob, all right. What do you think, Ralph? Now, Lansing is closer to the other nations than I am, sir. You're evading the issue. We're all evading it. Mr. President, the California vote is in. You're re-elected now. You have the people's mandate. For peace, Robert. But not at any price. I'll agree with that. More and more, the sentiment seems to be swinging pro-ally. Very well. What action do you suggest? Shall I go before Congress and ask for a declaration of war? Oh, that would be going a little far just now. I so think. do I, gentlemen. It seems to me that I'm divided roughly into three groups these days. Pro-German, pro-ally, and the vast majority who expect me to find a way to keep us out of war. Those are the people who elected me. I've got to find a way out for them. Is there such a way? I don't know. What do you propose to do? I propose to make another try for peace. I want to phrase a note today, gentlemen, with your help. Asking for peace without victory for either side. I shall request an answer from both sides. And I shall be prepared to open negotiations if they agree to my first proposal. Germany won't even answer. What will this accomplish, sir, besides keeping the record plain? I think it will make it absolutely clear, gentlemen, that the United States has done everything it could to prevent war. Then you see, if war comes, we shall have a united country. And with a united country, there need be no fear about the result. In just a moment, we'll come back to Edward Arnold and Mr. President. Despite the gains made in the past few months, America's schools are still facing a shortage of qualified teachers and too few able young people are preparing to enter the teaching profession. Due to present economic conditions and more attractive job opportunities, the nation is steadily losing thousands of experienced teachers. In many communities, teachers are dissatisfied because they're underpaid and overworked. They also face overcrowded classrooms, inadequate equipment, and lack of public interest in what they're doing. In many parts of the country, schools are badly lighted, insanitary, and grim in atmosphere. Many schools also like essential equipment and instructional materials. Every American can help remedy the situation by taking an active interest in educational conditions in his community. Remember, our teachers mold our nation's future. So join and work with your local civic groups and school boards. Now, back to Edward Arnold and Mr. President. You've probably guessed by now who the president was in this story. Later on, of course, I'll tell you which one all this happened to. As the year drew to a close, Edith and I passed our first anniversary without celebrating. Matters in the world were much too serious just then for either of us to want any elaborate party. As a matter of fact, it was in our anniversary that I sent a suggestion to all the warring nations that they state their war aims in simple terms so that all the people of the world would understand them. This was something new in diplomacy. Actually, it was not diplomacy. It was straight, forthright dealing. And then we waited. Christmas was almost upon us before Bob Lansing came over from the State Department with a diplomatic note in his hand. It had been given to him, he said... By the French ambassador a short while ago. Is it an answer? Yes, sir. Here it is. Thank you. Mm -hmm. I see. Doubt if time has come when a piece of lasting benefit can be made in Europe. (laughs) 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Peace terms involve restoration, reparation, rehabilitation, and guarantees. Rather general, don't you think, Robert? I wonder if we can hope for much more. From the British? I doubt it. Their prime minister is due to make a speech before Parliament in the next day or so. He will almost undoubtedly include a reply to your note. Will he accept? I doubt if the mood of the people will permit him to accept. But suppose Germany accepts or makes a decent declaration? In that case, the British will be shrewd enough to play along. Propaganda-wise, they will have to. Which leaves it almost entirely in the lap of Germany. You sound as if you no longer believe in good angels, Mr. President. Did I ever, Robert? Well, no, but a lot of people think you did. You yourself concluded? To be honest, sir, at times, yes. Robert, I can't blame you, but I hate to see the holiday season coming to a close and no move for peace being made at such a time. I understand, sir. Right now, I think the French have done all they can. Their country has overrun their youth, dying by the thousands. I believe their reply is the best they can do. But Germany, ah, that's something else. They have what the French have lost. Do you expect them to offer to give it up? Victors have sometimes been generous. Historically, yes. But it depends on who is writing the history. Yes, sir. Well, Robert, all we can do is wait, and then wait some more. Go on back to your office, Robert, and let me know as soon as you hear. And Mrs. Sloan has put the sandwiches and the thermos on the hall table, as usual. Just in case I can get you out for a little early golf tomorrow morning. Yes, my dear. And so the cow jumped over the moon and the dish ran away with the spoon. Yes, my dear. Mr. President, you haven't heard a word I've been saying. Hmm? What? Oh, (laughs) I'm sorry. I really am sorry. What were you saying, my dear? Nothing of any importance. But this is important. Then go ahead. I'm listening now. You'll make yourself ill worrying so, and it's no good, dear. You have a job to do. You simply must take care of yourself. I know, I know. But here I am trying to stop a war, trying to keep us out of it. Edith, it lives with me 24 hours a day. I know, darling. Now, will you let me try to help you for a minute or two? You help just by being here. I have a job to do, too taking care of you. Now, will you come and play golf tomorrow morning? In the middle of the winter? There's no snow, and the sun will do you so much good. I suspect a certain wife is trying to get a certain husband away from his desk. I suspect you're right, my dear. No, Edith, it's no use. As long as my mind is so heavy, I'm useless on a golf course, winter, spring, or summer. Your mind. Or your heart. Oh, both, I suppose. With you, the heart comes first. Yes, it's a bad policy for the head of a nation. Good policy. You may be driving yourself much too hard these days. But I'm prouder of you than ever before. Thank you, my dear. Now, uh, what do you say we start for bed, huh? Sleep is a precious and important commodity these days. I don't know what to say, Mr. President. I can't decide if this last answer is honest or just plain conniving. I see, I see. What do you think, Ralph? Well, knowing the Germans as I think I do, sir, I'd suspect they want an international conference and a sort of armistice for crafty reasons. The fighting which will give them time to regroup their forces and mount a new offensive against Paris. That would be unspeakable. I know that, sir. Well, Bob? I lean toward Murray's idea. Well, we've had three answers from them now. From Great Britain, from France, and from Germany. And each one confusing the issues. They all cry peace, but there is no peace. Then shall we, too, make war? But we can still keep out of it, can't we, Mr. President? Not much longer, I'm afraid. 
Not with our shipping threatened, not with the lives of our citizens abroad and on the high seas in constant danger. I, for one, would think that the sooner the better in that case. We can make no move, gentlemen, until the people are ready. And they won't be ready until they are fully satisfied that we have tried every possible manner and means of ending the conflict. I know the people, gentlemen. They aren't ready. They are no more ready than I am. finish this. I'm sending it to Congress tomorrow. May I? Of course, yes, yes. This is the final draft. Another note? A statement to Congress on what I think is a foundation for peace and international relations. I'm I'm afraid it's still a little too professorial. The lecturer before the classroom coming out of me again, you know? Well, I am proposing government by the consent of the governed. That freedom of the seas, which in international conference after international conference, representatives of the United States have urged with the eloquence of those who are the convinced disciples of liberty, and that moderation of armaments, which makes of armies and navies a power for order merely, not an instrument of aggression or of selfish violence. Just the... More? Yes, yes, it's just the closing paragraph. I haven't typed it yet. Read it to me, please. Well, see what you think, Edith. Uh, I'm going on from more selfish violence. These are American principles, American policies. We could stand for no others, and they are also the principles and policies of forward-looking men and women everywhere and of every modern nation, of every enlightened community. They are the principles of mankind and must prevail. Oh, Edith, they must listen to us now. They must or be eternally condemned to war and death. Well, you're out of the office early. My dear, what's happened? If you remember my high-sounding phrases about the principles of mankind... Yes, yes, of course... They have not prevailed. Oh, my dear. Eight days, eight days almost to the hour, and Germany has announced unrestricted submarine warfare. Then that's that. I've told Bob Lansing to order our ambassador to Germany to ask for his passport. It begins to look, Edith, as if you've married yourself to a wartime president. Does that really worry you? Oh, I think it does. I really think it does. Well, don't let it for an instant. Wartime or peacetime, he's my president and my husband. And that's all that matters. Thank you, Edith. I thank you more than I can say. Mr. President, I came as soon as I could. Has it come, sir? 
Ralph, I think that tomorrow morning... No, this morning I shall go before Congress and ask for a declaration of war. My message is here. It's written. I think I know what war means. But what else can I do? Is there anything else I can do, Ralph? Your hand has been forced, sir. Our ship sunk, our citizens murdered on the high seas, every peace move blocked. We can't keep out, sir. Do you realize what this war means, Ralph? It means our people will go war-mad and turn their energies to destruction. But it means, too, that Germany will be beaten. I've wrestled with this, Ralph. How I've wrestled with it. But I think I'm most frightened at what will happen here, right here at home. The war effort will be magnificent, sir. The people are ready. Ready, yes, but do they know that war today means an end to the ideals of government we believe in? To fight, you must be brutal and ruthless. Brutality will enter every phase of our living. I only pray the Constitution and the Bill of Rights will survive. But I doubt that they will. No modern nation has ever put its strength to war and kept its head level. If there is any alternative, for heaven's sake, let's take it. I see none, Mr. President. None whatsoever. Nor do I. Tomorrow, Congress will hear what I've written on this paper. With a profound sense of the solemn character of the step I am taking and of the grave responsibilities which it involves. But in obedience to what I deem my constitutional duty, there are many months of sacrifice ahead of us. It is a fearful thing to lead this great people into a war. But the right is more precious than peace. And we shall fight for the things which we have always carried nearest our hearts for democracy. To such a task, we can dedicate our lives and our fortunes, everything that we are and everything that we have, with the pride of those who know that the day has come when America is privileged to spend her blood and her might for the principles that gave her birth and happiness and the peace which she has treasured. God helping her, she can do no other. probably figured out by now who I was when all that happened. It really did happen, you know, and I'll tell you the answer in just a moment. Carnegie Hall, that's the name of a great new musical show ABC has on the air for your enjoyment every Sunday night. It's a half-hour program devoted to great musical works, both classical and semi-classical, and each week an event in American history is commemorated. The music is reminiscent of or drawn from that period or event and as announcer and commentator, Gene Hamilton devotes his commentary to the occasion being commemorated. Each Sunday night, famous soloists appear on Carnegie Hall. And among the events to be commemorated this year are such days as Thanksgiving and Christmas. So make it a Sunday night custom to listen in when Carnegie Hall goes on the air over most of these same ABC stations. Now, here again is Edward Arnold. <laughs> I'm sure you've guessed by now that the president in this story was our great wartime leader of World War I, Woodrow Wilson. His great effort, the personal sacrifices he made, are part of history now. 
but it has always been of great comfort to those who knew him that the years of his marriage to beautiful Edith Bolling Wilson were some of the happiest ever spent by any president in the White House. Come and see me again next week, won't you? I'll have another story for you then that I'm sure you'll enjoy. Goodbye. Edward Arnold appeared by arrangement with Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer, producers of the Technicolor picture The Three Musketeers, starring Lana Turner, Gene Kelly, and June Allison. Mr. President was created by Robert G. Jennings. It was produced and directed by Leonard Reed. This story by Ira Marion was suggested by incidents in the life of President Woodrow Wilson. Music was composed by Basil Adler. Be sure to listen again next week when the American Broadcasting Company and its affiliated stations bring you Edward Arnold with another interesting and factual story of Mr. President. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company.